everybody, and welcome to the very 97th episode of the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast, this year live from the UK Games Expo. Give yourself a round of applause, everybody. My name's Quentin Smith. I'm joined by my co-host, Matt Lees. Hello. This is a podcast about board game and also, this year, 350 lovely board gamers who are going to listen to us talking about board games. Yeah. It's a fantastic number of people here. Thank you so much for coming. And queuing. Goodness. Yeah. Goodness. 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 We have some excellent board games and also, oh, I should hide my book, an unbelievably good feature. A secret feature which has nothing to do with the book that you didn't see. (laughs) Uh, honestly, we often like to prepare fun features for the end of our lives. Got, he's got a good thing. It's I'm good. so, so excited. Uh, it's going to be better than the time uh, that Matt made fun of the popular board games writing and sabotaged our relationships with the publisher forever. Yeah, so, pretty, yeah. Uh, but first off, we're going to talk about some board games, uh, including but perhaps not limited to Stay Cool, mm. Power Rangers, Heroes of the Grid, mm. Welcome to Dino World, <laughs> Letter Jam, and the world's first boxed, well, sort of, kind of the world's first not-boxed mega game, Vampire the Masquerade Blood Feud. You may notice I've hedged slightly there. More on that later. Uh, So, uh, should we start by talking a little bit about Stay Cool? Stay Cool. So this, uh, there's two things you should know about this. The first off, it's by Scorpion Mask, um, who make Decrypto. Unbelievably good party game if you played that. The other thing you should know, I booked this as the very first thing we would play at the UK Games Expo. Yeah, you always do this. Like, you're just reckless. I think the term is, I I just wanted to mess with everybody on our team. you're an imp. It's the same way that you booked us into, like, a a haunted house for one convention and then booked us into a house that I eventually worked out might be owned by, like, neo-Nazi bikers. Oh, yeah. Yeah, just because you're like, this place looks crazy. This will mess with everyone. (laughs) In my defense, right, when you look at the pictures of an Airbnb and it looks like super, like a haunted house, like Mm -hmm. an Adam's family family house that's falling apart and it's all leaning. You don't book it. Well, no. (laughs) You do book it, but what I didn't realize is it's not just a spooky house by itself, because when we actually arrived at the actual house, it's Mm. just one spooky house in a big neighborhood of houses that are falling apart. Very different vibe. It was like, I'm not hamming it up when I say it was exactly like being in Fallout 3. Uh, Okay, so stay cool. The reason this is funny I booked it as the first game is it's a party game with a very simple concept. What players do is they take turns to have a go. What you do on your (laughs) go... It's good to try, isn't it? Well, you're going to try. You're not going to do enormously well uh, unless you're our friend Clark. Um, More on him later. So uh, what you do in stay cool is, uh, first off, you've got a bunch of little children's building blocks in front of you that all have different letters on. Some have consonants, some have vowels. The player to your left is going to be asking you questions, super easy, like... What noise does a cat make when it's happy? And then you have to spell that with the cubes. Mm. Lovely stuff. When you've spelled a word, they move on to the next question. Great. The player to your right is also asking you questions that you have to uh, answer vocally. But easy things like, you know, recite the last five letters of the alphabet backwards. Uh, And you have to do these things simultaneously because your score in two minutes is how many questions you've got right on both sides multiplied Mm. together. Mm. But the reason that Stay Cool was so funny and the reason we just couldn't tear ourselves away from the booth is this game is genetic, sort of engineered on a scientific level to make you look like a doofus. <laughs> yeah, I thought I'd done really well and then we scored up my points and it was like four. Out of 25. Yeah. Uh, so these are questions like, well, mainly some of the stuff is tricky like uh, uh, how many, oh, Clark, I've got one for Clark. Clark, how many wings does a spider have? 
Eight. Eight. There you Eight. Go. Yeah. That was so fun. there's a lot of trick questions in there just to throw you because it's the weird thing of like you're just fiddling with these letters trying to find like because they're basically just these big chunky dice and they have each dice has different letters on it and there are a couple of dice that are like the white ones I think just have vowels on so you're like right okay where's an O it's going to be on there somewhere yeah but sometimes you're just flipping around for ages being like where is a bloody W mm -hmm. I found 18 M's but there's something where's about, a W even the fact that the game is called stay cool and you've seen your friends fail means you're kind of doomed like the very first thing that Matt did what the question was actually what spell out what noise does a cat make when it's yeah. happy and yeah. Matt ah chicka 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 spelled meow yep <laughs> Which also, it takes so long that when you get that wrong, it's so dispiriting. Yeah, they were like, no, it's not that noise. I'm like, oh. <laughs> How um, many noises do these things make? Uh, but the thing I really liked about it is, and it's a, the questions you're being asked are a mix of general knowledge that anyone could get and arithmetic that anyone could get and then personal, uh, personal sort of yeah. personal opinions. And this is what's great because it turns out that when you ask your brain a few different questions from a few different angles, it completely locks up. Like, uh, again, our friend Rob, uh, was asked what was his favorite color and froze for somewhere between <laughs> five and eight seconds. Yeah, he's like, uh, and it, I love the fact that the questions get increasingly harder as you go down. So initially you're just playing with these blocks looking for letters and they're asking like, you know, what's, what do you get if you cross blue and yellow and you're like green, fine, and you keep doing this stuff until eventually the questions get hard enough that, because both people keep repeating the yes. thing to you, you just get to a point where you're like, you gotta shut up, I'm doing, <laughs> I'm doing letter cubes now. You just gotta shut up with these questions, like, because yeah. you're just like, I can't think about that level of things while I'm doing a children's letter cube, <laughs> four-letter word. I, the way I've been selling it to people is the last question I had on my card that was really meant to throw me was, this is so good, I'm like answering questions about like, how, what are the first three letters of Azerbaijan? What's nine plus 17? And my last question was, what was an aspect of your education in which you think your parents failed you? <laughs> <laughs> And I just, yeah. I, I locked for about five, six seconds and then started going, oh, well, look, the thing is about <laughs> being middle yeah. class, it's just like, and then, I, then it was like time and um, you know, I'm that I think was root, right? Like root mathematics or something? Oh, what, doing like squares or something? I don't know, I thought that was what your answer was. Oh, math. Oh, no, yeah, my dad tried to teach me maths, but he was old enough that he learned to do maths in a different way. Okay, old, bad old maths. Bad maths before they worked How out. many miles in a hundred? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I think the magic of this game, and I don't really know why this happens, it might just be accidental sorcery, but it's the fact that whenever you're watching someone else do it, they look like a doofus. And yeah. you're like, you're an idiot. But whenever you're doing it, you never feel like an idiot. Even when you do, you're doing really badly at the end, they say, yeah, you got like four points. I didn't feel like I'd done badly. I felt like I'd done pretty well. <laughs> and actually, the thing is, because you've got two people barking things at you, you end up just being like, you don't feel like you're stupid, you feel like everyone else is irritating, but in a, but in a way which is really quite good, because everyone else is like, you're an idiot, and you're just like, you guys are really, like, can you just give me a chance to do this? Like, God, oh. which really, is great. Do you think Lisa will be annoyed if I mentioned that, because uh, it was kind of unfair, if you don't know this one, then it, it's, it's, it's kind of mean, but she was asked, sorry, what's heavier, a pound, a pound of feathers or a pound of lead? And the answer was, uh, she said, a pound of lead, and that's, no. And a pound of feathers? No. And she, she was went, just like, what? 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 <laughs> and it's great, you kind of forget that like, yeah, that in England especially, that's something that everyone learns that trick when they're in school. Yeah. And if you haven't learned that one before, as an you're adult, just you're doomed. just like, what? Yeah. What do you mean? But this actually, doesn't make any sense. To get like mechanical for a minute, I think the reason it's such a Moorish party game is you're actually alternating between three things because answering the questions is fun and interesting because the questions aren't always testing. You get yeah. a lot of easy ones, some yeah. really easy ones, so you feel kind of clever. Or you're asking the questions, which is a completely different experience and it's Schadenfreude and you're being the hilarious quiz master because mm -hmm. essentially you're being given like eight jokes that you get to ask 
or you're just watching, which is a wonder, and it's a wonderful spectator sport. But the fact that play is constantly rotating means that you're always doing something different. So mm -hmm. there's always that one more round, one more round, one more round, yeah. because you want to do the next task. And there is so much variety with the tasks. Even with the letter blocks, actually, they're colored as well. And sometimes it's like stack them up in this order with the colors. So it's not all just words. It's like it gets you doing a jumble of all different things. And it's amazing uh, watching people freeze up on things that you think, come on, this should be quite easy. I was so delighted. One of the When I was um, getting them to spell out cubes, uh, letters with the cubes, I suddenly had a question, which was just slide a card under one of the cubes cubes without touching it. And it was our friend just like chasing the cube around the table while being asked what their favorite color was. And it was, yeah. and failing both of those things. Yeah, it's bizarre. It's, it's, it's a lot more fun than it has any right to be. Uh, should we uh, move to the next thing? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that was Stay Cool by Scorpion Mask. I don't know if they're demoing it publicly, but it's certainly one to keep your mm, eyes lovely on. Lovely box as well. Uh, should we talk about something bigger? Should we alternate between some like big and small things? It's your birthday, you can do what you like. It's not his birthday, I don't know why I said that. Because <laughs> I was just worried everyone's going to be like, oh, and I'd be like, no, it's just lies. Hey, everybody, it's my birthday! Yay! It's not true. Oh, An authentic... Uh, Pity thing. Uh, I would really like to talk about something that, uh, is Jonathan Ying here? No. Okay. Uh, a game from Jonathan Ying that was a lot better than I was expecting it to be. Uh, <laughs> that sounds like we're dissing Jonathan Ying, which we're not. No, we're dissing the IP he was working yeah, with. Yeah, because he's a solid designer. He is. So uh, Jonathan Ying, designer of Bargain Quest, part of the team on Imperial Assault, uh, was, has been behind a few Kickstarters recently, but we played Power Rangers Heroes of the Grid. Yeah. So this was a Kickstarter miniatures game. Mm -hmm. um, I had no interest in playing it. Um, he was talking to me about the, some of the challenges he was uh, going up against like ages ago in terms of mainly just the art. He was, like, he was talking about how he's like, you know, you go back and you look at the show and the, they're all awful puppets. It looks terrible, <laughs> but people don't remember it like that. They were, so we have to kind of create the miniatures that look like and the art that looks like the show that people remember. And I thought that was quite interesting. But in my mind, I was like, I'm not really interested in Power Rangers and I'm not really interested in miniatures games. So I thought, that's cool, but I don't want to play it. But having now played it, I really like it. Oh my goodness, I would play it again in a heartbeat. So what we've got here is a cooperative game, lots of miniatures, so already like red flags everywhere, right? For us, yeah. For us, excuse me, I'm gonna, but can you fill? Okay, well, yeah, so basically, it's got quite large miniatures, and you've got five of the starting Power Rangers. I think there are literally thousands of them now. Um, well, this was an amazing thing that we learned, because everyone remembers the Power Rangers, but it turns out there have been 25 seasons, like, essentially mm. 25 reboots of the Power Rangers, like, one every couple of years. But because it's a very age-specific property, everyone only remembers one of them. Yeah. So in terms of Kickstarter expansions, they have so much to play with. Yeah, so this is vanilla kind of American Power Rangers. Which is, of course, originally a Japanese show. Yeah, they, so they used all this footage from a Japanese show with the fighting and then just sort of very crudely, in retrospect, weaved a story around yeah, it. Yeah, and now as an adult, thinking back, it's like, obviously, the yeah. sections they filmed in America weren't even shot on the same film. No. You know? No, no, and it was like, you know, oh, we're, we're in a kind of L.A. school, and then suddenly it's like, yeah, we're in the Rocky Mountains. Jonathan was giving us trivia. It turns out, in the original Power Rangers, the Power Rangers aren't, like, high school students. They live in space. Yeah. It's wild. Um, yeah. So this is a cooperative game between, for, between <laughs> one and six. What was that? Just, uh, we, we just, can we just talk about Power Rangers for 60 minutes? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it's a cooperative game. Uh, you all have a ranger that you control. Um, it's a bit pandemic-y, but a sort of combat game. So there's five regions. Uh, everyone gets two actions a turn. You can spend your action to move or take a little rest 
or to start a fight. Mm. But the reason you've got to be clever is when you start a fight with all the miniatures in the space, any other Power Rangers that are in that space get to fight with you for free. Mm -hmm. And when you trigger a fight, you go into a little card game. You lose the game if the board becomes fully swamped with miniatures. Think of it like Pandemic. You're trying to wipe things off the board and survive for long enough that eventually... I almost said Rita Aura, but that's not her name. <laughs> Rita... Rita... Repeater? Rita Repulsa. Repulsa. Okay, great. Yeah. Not Rita Aura. No. Um, okay, so yeah, Rita Repulsa shows up and you have to defeat her. Yeah. But here's the thing. That's the basics. That's why, you know, we weren't necessarily excited. My goodness, this design is clean as heck. Mm. And the card combat is so ruddy good. Yeah, it's. I think it's just amazingly evocative straight away. Oh my God. The art is lovely and all of the moves. Like, I was um, the pink ranger, the yep. ranged ranger who had a, had a bow and arrow. And I thought to myself, oh, does that mean I can shoot things from different areas? And it's like, no, you have to move to the same area. <laughs> you can't fire an arrow from the juice bar and hit yeah. someone in the industrial district. Yeah, no, you can't do that. Um, but I kind of thought, mm, well, I, I wonder how that's going to work if it is literally just like, because it's a big chunky board there are there are five spaces but they're effectively four areas so i thought how is it going to feel like i'm a ranged character when i'm just with everyone else and it did and i, th I think that a lot of it just came down to the the art and the wording on the cards of being like taking aim and firing a shot every time anyone did anything i visualized it so strongly oh my goodness the art on the cards is great the names of the cards are great um it actually mostly reminds me of gloomhaven light yeah. In terms of you have a bunch of people playing a card game and you're just discussing which cards to play. The simple way it works is that um, it, it was actually inspired by Japanese uh, role-playing games, um, but I actually think it's got a load of innovations that I've never seen in any JRPGs. When you uh, start a fight, all of the monsters in that fight get a card at random and then that's laid out in a line and the Power Rangers get an opportunity to play a card between like every card in that lineup. So mm -hmm. Power Rangers, monster, Power Rangers, monster. If you kill a monster, that card is flipped and doesn't happen. Mm. So ideally, if you're clever, you'll be able to chain your attacks together that the monsters never attack. Yeah. But then you get things like, oh, this card at the end is so bad and has a ton of health, so we should hit that to make sure. And then because of dice, nothing is certain. Yeah. But, and then the real reason it works is this game is all about teamwork in a way that's so pure, yeah. that's so Power Rangers, I couldn't get over it. Yeah. So. Uh, when you start a fight, different ranges will be in different areas, but all of your decks are different. Like anyone in this room who's played Gloomhaven will know that if you're playing Gloomhaven with two, you need to learn how those two characters kind of work together and in a very similar, like very light way. If yeah. like, uh, the yellow ranger provides a lot of sort of like instantaneous damage after the fact, sort of like a lot of team, like a lot of jumping. Like, oh, we didn't quite kill it. It's like, I can just do one bit of extra damage after your attack. Or like, oh, are we gonna be able to land this with just three dice? And someone's like, I can do a move that means you get to immediately have an attack and roll an extra dice. Oh yeah. So it's like, rather than in Gloomhaven where like you have this, you know, combat that's much more meaty and much more complicated and you have to actually understand everything and how it interlocks and always have plans. In this, it's just this thing of going, oh, oh, we can't quite do it. And then someone turns up and goes, yes, we can. I'm going to help you. And even the fact there was a point where it was like, oh, no, that, that one of the big boss characters has turned up on the other side of the city. And I think me and you were like fighting... Like, putties fighting other. putties at the school and we're like oh no we got to get over there and it's like no they'll be okay we we got to stay here and fight well, what, high five it was so <laughs> it was lovely just... because we when the first set of monster one of the mini bosses showed up which by the way are all based on the crappest monsters from Power Rangers I well, mean I think they were all crap but I, oh <laughs> so, maybe yeah yeah I think yeah we fought like a big pig that is carrying a knife and fork yeah yeah uh, a lady a, with big hands oh lady woe yeah, yeah she was spooky there's a skeleton who's just called bones yeah. Uh, uh, oh, yeah, there's Nasty Knight. Nasty Knight with a K before Nasty. Yeah, that's yeah. lovely. Um, but then 
So the first time a miniboss showed up, we had all the Power Rangers go into an area, and then you've got, you know, Red Ranger, who's the leader, and so buffing everybody. Blue Ranger, me, helping people get cards on the back of their deck and blocking. Black Ranger doing all the big damage. We defeated the miniboss, and it was a tough fight, but then another miniboss spawned, and the, every, all the Rangers except me and Matt ran over to fight him, and it was that moment of, like, we defeated a miniboss with five, but is the power of teamwork going to save just three Rangers? <laughs> it was so sweet. And they did it, and we they were watching them do it. And here's the really cool thing. The combat is really involved, but at one point, Matt, as Matt and my rangers were fighting parties on the other side of the city, we were like, hang on, none of the mechanics in this game mean we couldn't just do these fights at the same time, and you can, which yeah. means it's this lovely organic thing where if you're playing, like, let's say, with five people, three players might be having a fight over there, and me and Matt are fighting, but then with how the board shakes out, maybe I go back to rest, which means Matt now fights with another player, so you're constantly chopping and changing who you're working with, but doing fights at the same time. And it kind of feels like cutting a TV show in the fact that if you have two small fights and you think, hey, both of these groups can handle these, right? You can just play them simultaneously, but if you look at it and like, no, we need you to get over here, because Rita Ora is singing some real bad songs, <laughs> uh, then you could be like, okay, and then you can like quickly do your little mini fight, so you can then rush over and start the big one there's a lot of really neat stuff in it but yeah it was just it rather than because it was also simple yes. and so light there was no like quarterbacking it was just a thing of being like oh we can't do this and it's well, like, i no, can do that it's and you're the, like cool it's the thing from pandemic no one knew what cards anyone was holding yeah. um and all the decks are unique so it was it was a, like a 60 minute game and for all of those 60 minutes it was players going oh damn i can't do this and another player going i can help yeah for 60 minutes you even have like a um a collaborative experience tracker, a bit like in Nexon Minions, of being like, you know, you, you every time you kill something, it adds up, but every time you kill a certain amount, you level up. But when you level up, you level up as a team, and you have a deck of cards, which are the Zords, and they're randomized in order. If you haven't seen Power Rangers, the then Zords. this is confusing. <laughs> the Zords, obviously, for a bunch of high school st students, are giant robots like animals slash dinosaurs. Uh, that they ride. Yep. But what... <laughs> <laughs> But the key thing is, oh, it just means like you level up and you're like, oh, cool. And it's like, oh, blue player, you got your Zord. And they're like, because oh, you don't know who's going to get it until you all have them. And then you get the Megazord, which you've probably worked out. He's a big robot made of all of the little robots. It was, you know, there's been games where, you know, players have individual XP and level up and that doesn't feel good. There are games where the group gets experience and then the group all levels up at the same time. This was better. We yeah. all worked together to get experience and then it was lucky dip. Which of us got our sword? It was Matt. And it was like went, a friend oh. winning a scratch card. It was yeah. great. You're like, oh, that's cool. What did it do? And, and again, the Zords do things that help your team rather than just like helping you. So yeah, the whole design just had a kind of really nice purity. And there was also, it's got to be said, for a very simple game, there was a lot of interesting little strategic choices within there to do with manipulating your deck slightly or leaving stuff on the top of your deck. So there, there was like enough kind of grit in there to, to make you feel like you were doing clever stuff with your deck specifically. Oh, really? And same as, uh, same as Gloomhaven, your deck is your health. But, yeah. but cards have different amounts of block value, which means yeah. that if you get hit, you never know whether, like, oh, there was a lovely mechanic where you die or you fall over and have to go back to base if the last card in your deck is gone. But if it has enough shields to just keep you safe, that card goes back down, which never normally happens, but it means you get this enormously evocative thing of whenever any of you dies, maybe you survive, oh my God, and then the card goes yeah. back. Like, as a little flash of, look, 
and then it goes back down and you're fine. And if you use an ability that allows you to choose a card to put back on the top of your deck, it means you know exactly how much damage you can take without it being a problem. We're just it's, nerding yeah, out right it's now. Really, I think the key thing about it is I didn't want to play this game because I was like, I don't care about Power Rangers. But as soon as we started playing it, it's like the complete opposite to me of, of like not really wanting to go near stuff like the Dark Souls board game, card game, or the Bloodborne one. In fact, like, I, think, I, I think it would just disappoint me. But I went into this being like, I'm not interested in Power Rangers. And within about five minutes of playing, I had all these memories coming back to me. And it's like, hang on. Like, this is this was this awesome. is great, and I loved Power yeah, Rangers. I, I remembered I loved it, and I was like, "This is great." Yeah, one of our friends when we drew the Zord that was the pterodactyl, which belongs <laughs> yeah, to everyone the, was like, Ugh. "Yeah, no, it no, it was better than that." Because uh, she said, "Like, oh my god, that was my favorite," and I went, "Really?" And then I looked at the art, of the pterodactyl, and I went, "Oh my god, <laughs> it was my favorite too." <laughs> So it's so weird to just have zero hype, but then have w watch something rekindle dead memories of being like, no, yeah, um, this has both reminded me that I love this thing, but also exactly why I loved it. And you know what? Like, Matt and I are currently working on the Batman Gotham City Chronicles video review, which is going to be a ton of fun. But my goodness, that game is such a failure in so many ways, such a disappointment. And to, oh no, people are like, that's not a joke. It's, t it's really, it's a, it's a hell of a thing. Um, but then to have exactly the same thing. Oh, big IP, miniatures heavy Kickstarter that just gets everything right. Yeah. It reminds you that you're not crazy and that Batman is a bad man. Yeah, I think he's just capturing what the thing is. And Batman is just a violent man with loads of money who punches people. And uh, like the Power Rangers, I think one of my favorite cards I saw was, I think it was the Black Rangers power, which was just smooth moves. Oh yeah. Which was but, a uh, it was a defensive thing. It was like, you can block two damage to any other player being done. Three damage. Three damage. Just can you believe it guys? Three, three damage. <laughs> just because you did smooth moves. So the idea, <laughs> and that is like so Power Rangers, the idea that someone's about to get hit, but you just stand in the way and like wiggle around and go, ha, ha. And then they're like, ugh. And like even the, the, the minis, I'm not a big fan of minis, but the fact that all the putty characters are so dynamic, it just reminds you of their kind of weird, wriggly, kind of constantly like moving their arms around in a stupid way. Yeah. It's it's great. Yeah, it's a, it's great. It's a heck of a thing. So that was Power Rangers Heroes of the Grid. Certainly, I don't think it's available now. I'll be going out to Kickstarter backers. Hopefully there'll be a bit of a retail release. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, uh, we were really, really impressed. Uh, shall we talk about uh, Letter Jam? Yeah, let's do that. Letter Jam, AKA, uh, uh, anxiety letters. Yeah, you called it like hell jam or something, Hell right? jam, hell letters. I didn't find it that stressful. Yeah, that's because you're good at word games, but oh my goodness. Right, so, oh, where do you start? Okay, so, letter jam, basically, is a game whereby... Oh, from Czech Games Edition, it's a new party game, so the people that brought you code names and uh, the tremendously awkward, that's a question, mm. uh, trap words, this is their new party game. Yeah, and it was an interesting one for me because it has elements of word games, which I really love, and elements kind of like Hanabi of like having cards in front of you that you can't see but other people can. I'm not really a fan of Hanabi. Mm. I find it very dull. But I really clicked with this and I wasn't sure if I would. The way it works at the start is everyone chooses how long a word they're going to try and get at the end of the game. You choose that many letters and the person to your left goes through the deck, gets loads of letters, and makes a word of that number of things. You have them in front of you. And then the game is basically one at a time. You have a little plastic stand that you pop the first letter of your word in. So if Matt's word was idiot. Yeah, but, but no, but actually they're all jumbled up first. So they make a word, they give you them, you shuffle them. So it's not actually going through a word. It's just the letters that are in the word. And then 
all you do is you look around the table each round and you're not allowed to look at your card. Obviously, we look at the rest of them and you just basically bid to see who can come up with the biggest word using the most letters from other players. Because then it means that effectively you can be like, you know, what? I can do a five letter word with four players. And, and then it means, you know, you're going to give clues to four people and they're going to write down all the other letters that they can see and have the blanks. And if they can work out what the letter blank is, then you can go, or as soon as you feel like you've got it, you go, I got it. And then you go, right, 100% got it. And you put that card down and you get the second card in your row and you flip that one up. And then basically you've got to go through and you've got a certain number of rounds. And then after you get to the end, you've got what you think, hopefully, are all of the letters <laughs> in front of you that you've guessed through elimination and taking notes, and then you have to look at that and try and work out what the word maybe is. But the cool thing is, you don't, at the end of the game, you don't actually have to assemble the word that was given to you. You just have to assemble our word. Yeah, and so if players finish <laughs> early, then there are extra letters that they can earn floating around in yep. the middle of the table. So if there's one letter in your scramble of letters that you're not sure yeah of. if you're not sure about it you're like i don't know what that is but i can use that t from the middle and then i can make this work now maybe this is all sounding a little banal but the thing yeah. you need to understand is that already there's sort of but this is this is a game that takes maybe 45 minutes an hour okay and it's an hour of you very slowly using deduction to figure out what each of your letters is but you're never sure it's not like ah pretty sure this letter's an l yeah. I'll check. Yeah. You never check. You just move on. So you have all these cards in front of you that you can never look at, which is just an engine for tension. It becomes super tactical in ways you wouldn't expect because you, you also have the thing. The only thing that's confusing about it is at the start of the game, we're like, you know, how many do you want? How many, how big a word do you want to make? And I thought, I'll make a word with six letters. Whoa, crazy. Um, but it, actually, it meant that I was doing less word stuff because I had so many letters to personally get through and guess it meant that it didn't make sense for me to be being the person each time who would suggest words using other people's letters. Sure. So actually, if you're good at words, you choose a shorter one. But it means that as you go on, like you can look at it and you, you kind of can't say anything explicitly, but you kind of go, I've got one that I can do with five letters that uses three people. And other people look at you as if to go, yeah, I think I know what that word is, mm. but it's going to be a word that still is going to be super vague or uh -huh. unknowable for the player who really is a bit behind. Uh, and the thing that makes it really tricky often for everybody is that there's an asterisk in the middle which people can use, and the asterisk is essentially like a blank letter in Scrabble. Mm -hmm. But that means often you, you, you routinely have rounds where you don't quite know what the word is, but everyone else does. I had a horrible yeah. round where a word got suggested and then... Everyone like looked at the letters. It's like okay, P L A E uh, blank, oh, and they figured it out. They spelled <laughs> he was it. Just like what? And I was like, what? And then I didn't vocalize that I was confused because I was embarrassed. And then all the players started going, oh, good word, good word, <laughs> and I'm like. And also yeah. because there's no room for error. One of our friends, I figured this out later, spelled friends. F-R-E-I-N-D-S. The E was mine. The I, I think, was in the middle. So I, yeah. got, I basically, I write for a living. I'm not bad at spelling. I could not for the life of me remember if it's F-R-I-E. Oh, oh, no. Or F-R-E-I. And I was looking up my phone, which you can do. So it was all fine. But it's like, there's just no room for error. None. Yeah. And then at the end, the big grand finale, which just puts a lovely cap on the whole thing, is you have to, like like playing Find the Lady, put your cards down, you think you know what each letter is, you slide them around, and then you just have to reveal to your friends. Yeah. It's a very, like... So just one at a time. I was trying to write Walrus, and I was like, W-A-P. <laughs> 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 it's like, 
All right. <laughs> I thought my letters were same. And in a moment of like Bond level or like Austin Powers level luck, I got S, A, K, <laughs> E. Which it, wasn't what I thought, but the person who gave me the letter went, Sake. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, that's what I, that's what yeah. I thought I was yeah, spelling. Yeah, so it's great. It didn't matter. As long as you reveal a word that is a word, you did it. You won. Congratulations. And it, it also has a lovely thing in the fact that at any point, you know, you can be like, look, You've got a certain number of rounds, but it's a little card that looks like a flower. And basically each of the petals on the flower is each of the players. And it means that effectively you can just have one or two people who keep going, look, I've got a good clue. I've got a good clue. But there is a, a final hidden bonus move. At bonus the heart, round. Yeah. A bonus round at the heart of the flower that you can only access if or every player has given a word. So it gets to this point where it's like, look, it's great because it means that there's... It's not like you've got to do it. It's like, well, there's no harm in doing it. Like, even if you give it a go and it goes really badly, we're still going to get an extra free round that we wouldn't have got otherwise. You, you know, know what, how I might describe it is, you know, the Saw movies. Like, imagine, <laughs> imagine a room in one of the Saw movies which was designed to torture people who hated <laughs> anagrams. And it's like, you gotta do this. Because like- Well, we, there was only an anagram at the end. That's oh, the thing. Sure. Oh, sure. I mean, like, I'm it was mostly like, what's that word? I guess I'm just trying to get across, like I've played a lot of word games and usually it's my friends going, I spelled consequences. And I'm like, a uh, cat. Because my brain doesn't work that way. Yeah. And this was interesting because, you know, usually you're spelling words, spelling words, spelling words. This was like, we spelled one word in an hour and it was pretty cool. Yeah. Which is very unusual. I think also it doesn't really reward you being super clever in a way. Like sometimes I thought this is a great one. And then you realize that actually the person who needed it most because you were using their letter and then a blank and it was like, this is impossible. Whereas yes. for everyone else it's like, oh, this is easy. So there was a lot of thought into it. I didn't find it that stressful. I really enjoyed it. It kept me thinking and it kept me like really puzzling of just being like, this could be an M or a P or an S, but nothing else. Yeah, what the and hell? Then, and then like two going, turns later being like, <gasps> right. it's okay. So that's the Yomi level you're playing on. I'm sitting there going, how do I spell friends? <laughs> <laughs> All right, fair enough. Uh, fair but enough. no, I, I would play it again. I don't know if I'd buy it, but it's very much not for me. And yet I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I thought it was fun. So, so very interesting. In terms of a Czech games letter game, I prefer, I like trap words a lot, but then yeah. I like annoying people. Yeah, uh, yeah. So that's letter jam. Hey, who here likes rolling rights? It's like three people. Okay, well, I'm glad. There are a lot of them. Hey, right, actually, no, this is a good segue. Yeah. What if I told you there was a Roland Wright that didn't bore you? Yeah, all right. That's, that's, we'll take it. That's eight people. That's about all we're going to get, I think, from yeah. this audience. Yeah. What if I told you, who likes dinosaurs? Big there dinosaur we crowd. We found it. Uh, so Welcome to Dino World is interesting because I found out exactly why it is how it is. Similar size box to Welcome To. If you're not aware, Roland writes are games where you get a pencil or a pen and you draw out a, a, a mistake, basically. And it, it takes about an hour to draw your mistake. And you may realize at some point during the game where and when you've made your mistake. Ideally, at the end, you'll realize. But often, Roland writes are a genre where you draw like one thing on this virgin piece of paper and then go, oh, I've screwed it. Okay. <laughs> Uh, because often you can't take back what you've done. But Roland Rights tend to be pretty light games that take like half an hour. Mm. We really like Welcome To and Railroad Inc. But, but I was always yeah. being like, hey, where's the, where's the heavier game? Well, honestly, I've been, I'm not being getting bored with them, but there's just, it's such a, um, such a cool idea. And it's such a, a simple thing to kind of get out in a box, really, you know, just paper and pencils. Oh, yeah, it's lovely. There's just, there's been, it's been a lot of them in the past year, like, and a lot of them announced and more coming all the time. And honestly, like, a bunch of them are just fine. Yeah, um, but it was, someone was, I was talking to someone today about how funny it is that, like, a few years ago, the, uh, the trend was legacy games. Yeah, yeah, Games yeah, yeah, you yeah. play for a year, they come in a huge box, and now it's like pencils. 
yeah, and I love that. I love it. It's not that I was tired. I love lightweight and medium weight roll and rights, but I was curious as like, what happens when a heavy designer gets their hands on this genre? Mm-hmm. And welcome to Dino World is it. Turns out um, that they didn't do the original design, but um, this was a game that was finished by Nick Shaw and a gentleman called David Turchi, who you might remember from Anachrony and one of the expansions for Tricarion. So unbelievably uh, heavy games. So, what you've got in Welcome to Dino World, everyone is basically designing their own Jurassic Park. It's a park for dinosaurs. Dinosaurs. Dinosaurs are like animals, but from ages old things. So, welcome to Welcome. We didn't prepare that. It's why the end was different. Uh, so, welcome to Dino World's the game. You get a grid, you're gonna draw a dinosaur park on it. Mm. Uh, everyone uh, rolls three dice. If you've played Quinto Quicks, welcome to, you'll know how this works. Some dice are rolled in the middle and they determine what players can roll. However, if you've played any roll and write ever, the experience is roll some dice, draw a thing, roll some dice. Welcome to Dino World is roll some dice and then seven minutes pass as everyone tries to figure out what to do. Uh, and during those seven minutes, people constantly swear because they remember they're not allowed to draw more than one dinosaur pen or more than one of these things. There's a whole bunch of rules to it. It's like you've got these three dice. You're only allowed to make one dinosaur pen yep. per round. You're only allowed to draw one uh, sort of facility, which is either like... A sort of a campsite thing or a sort of research facility. Yeah, but they're all slightly randomized, different cards, so it's like a bunch of different things. The whole game is randomized. Like, I've never played a roll and write that's so wildly different because on the sheets, you can always draw campsites and buildings, but they do different things. Yeah. And in our game, the campsites were zip lines. Yeah. So you wanted, it's a dinosaur park, what do you want your zip lines to do? You want them to go over as many dinosaurs as possible. Absolutely. That means cash money. Um, so, and then also the third thing you can do is draw roads because yeah. dinosaur parks need to be connected with roads. But then you get into things like different dinosaurs score different victory points but require different amounts of space on your boards. Yep. There's a ton of objectives, like, th- and this is great. I love this mechanic. There are three objective cards between every two players. Mm-hmm. So we played with seven people, and there was this lovely thing if you played between two cities, where it's like, I'm playing with my player to my left and player to my right. There's some central objectives, but there's this lovely thing where, like, when your friends are just swearing at each other, you don't know why. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter to yeah. you. Um, but and it's also the fun tactics of being like, all right, well, what have I got between me and this person and me and this person? And then what have they got between the and, and trying to work out like what's the common ground for me that they're less likely to be trying to yeah, do? Yeah, it's neat. Like, because they're, they're one shots. So it's not like, oh, well, you got their second, so you get the points. It's like, I'm taking this. Yep. This is mine. I get these points. And even the fact that, like, you know, if you want to make big dinosaur things like Tyrannosaurus Rexus, you've got to, like, combine two dice. And yeah. it's like, ooh, do you want to do that? And then it takes up so thing? much space on your board. And then, like, you got the space for each dino thing, but they're not specific shapes. It's just, like, five cubes. Make it any shape you want. That's a lot of choices. And also, then it's like, oh, how big is this dinosaur? Well, you're going to need power to oh. power it. And is it one power, two power, three power? For the electric fences. But the electric fence generators that you draw can be shared yeah. between pens. So that's a lot of pre-planning to get it Also, up, we've yeah. perhaps like buried the lead. Most important thing, you get to draw dinosaurs. Yes. But here's yes. the cool thing, if you're like me and you can't draw, they have like, on the list of dinosaurs that you can uh, put in pens, they've drawn not like cool art assets of dinosaurs, mm. but crappy pencil sketches of like a little T-Rex. And so you know exactly how to draw a T-Rex on your yep. board. And it looks really small and cute and quick. I think that is huge, honestly. Like my favorite thing about Welcome 2 is the is the variety of strokes and dashes and circles you get oh, to make. Oh, that was such a good point. The fact that in this, like it has not like a picture of the dinosaur for real, but a very simple child's drawing of it yep. and encourages you to draw that in the space. 
is lovely. I love that you had some objective that meant you needed a load of Stegosaurus pens. Yeah. And it was amazing because <laughs> the first one, you can see Matt trace this beautiful Stegosaurus. A very cute, very simple kawaii. I, know, I liked it. It was better than the rest. <laughs> And then it's like, I don't know whatever DNA thing you were using to create the dinosaurs, but that machine was breaking because those stegosaurus yeah. getting increasingly wonky, lumpen, big eyes. eyes it's like when, place. and people, and anyone who's ever been a child will probably remember this, but you know when you, you've seen that? <laughs> Have any of you been children? I don't. No. Okay. So, you know when you do that thing where you want to do like a big star bubble, like an explosion or something, and you start off doing it very neatly, like bam, 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 and you're trying to work out the shape and get the triangles to be roughly the same size, and then you get about halfway around, and you're like, I really can't be bothered. And then increasingly, <laughs> it just gets like, it just, the, the end of it is just rubbish, because you're like, I do not have the patience for this. That was me with the dinosaurs. But I think that this wouldn't work with all Roland Wrights. I think it's just the fact that each round was much slower, which meant it was like the oh, cherry yeah. on the cake. Like if because we, we played another game, I think by the same designers. Oh, Roman Roll. Roman Roll, which we may talk about today or may or not time, we'll see. But I was thinking in that, oh, it could be fun if you had to draw like little helmets or something in the boxes. But I was like, actually, this, because it's a heavier game and, and you want more boxes to do stuff with, it might just slow you down. But here it's like, it was like your treat for solving a horrible puzzle. Well, it was not even solving the puzzle, but committing to the least crap option. It's yeah. like, oh, I don't know how to put this T-Rex. I guess I'll put it in this corner. And you feel awful as you draw the pen, but then you get to then draw, you get a, to little draw a little T-Rex. And that T-Rex is going to be sad because, oh, we haven't talked about the best thing. So like this game was super crunchy. Like it's a easily an hour long, very difficult thing. And we weren't playing with the expert mode. No. Because the expert mode adds generator failures and dinosaur escapes. <laughs> And if you've played like quicks, this is like, we're so beyond, you know, like traditional rolling rights. The way that works is at the end of each round, you roll dice. If you have big dinosaurs that require generators, the dice determine how many generator failures there are, which means you slowly start to get errors mm -hmm. in the fence. You can't move the dinosaur, it lives there. Um, but if the fence is ever completely destroyed, that dinosaur escapes, and the only effect is it causes damage to all adjacent dinosaur pens. So you've got this thing where it's like, oh, it's, it's like Jurassic World, but on a shoestring yeah, budget. Yeah, like pack them in. Like, let's get as many dinosaurs in this park as we can. No, what my, can go wrong? My thinking is like, they know the T-Rex is gonna escape, but all they can do because of bureaucracy is put all the other dinosaurs as far away as possible. <laughs> yeah, it's like, we've done this so many times. <laughs> let's not pretend. The T-Rex isn't going to escape. Have you seen Jurassic World. Children are going to eat too much ice cream. No, I haven't. Um, do, do you know the dinosaur that escapes in Jurassic is World? Is it the Tyrannosaurus Rex? What if I told you it was invisible like the Predator? Okay. <laughs> it's okay. a great movie. Uh, <laughs> should we talk briefly about Roman Roll then? Since we yeah, no, it? I'd like to talk about that. So David Turchi and Nick Shaw, uh, who work on very heavy games, discussed, like I love designers who are honest, because they came up to us and went, hey, we'd really like to show you our new game. It's a... Uh, <laughs> they said... It's a roll and write, and then leaves in close. It's not really a roll and write, though. It's a Euro game, but we're just making it look like a roll and write. <laughs> yeah, and it's yeah. like, the thing is, when we play your game, we'll figure that out anyway. So yeah. you might as well be honest out of the gate. Yeah. I was at WizKids today, and I was like, can we get a copy of this game? And they're like, why don't we give you this game instead? <laughs> and you know what? That just saves everybody time. It does. It really does. Okay, so Rome and Roll is like, oh my goodness. It's quite a historically accurate game of rebuilding Rome after it burned down. Like ancient Rome, not like modern Rome. That would be weird and depressing. Yeah. Um, but, oh, get it. It's a dice drafting game where you draft resources and actions. You 
uh, mark all the resources down on your pad, and then, you know, if anyone's been playing Uwe Rosenberg's, like, polymono things, you're building buildings, but you get to draw them on this central shared map of Rome. And it's mm-hmm. a bit like Terra Mystica, where you want your buildings to be near other players because every time they use a building, it procs. Yeah, and you get bonuses for doing it yourself. So it's like, hey, it's good for you, it's good for me. But then also you've got hills because Rome, apparently, I've never been, it's got loads of hills. Yep, and then a building can only straddle one hill. Yep, because- like a person. And <laughs> it basically means that you're like, you get really annoyed and you can only have one shrine on each hill and you discover that and you're like, but they've already made a shrine on the hill I was going to make a shrine on. God Damn it! Yep. It was it was wonderfully interactive, to I mean, be honest. The best thing we can say about Rome and Roll is this was a really heavy Euro game that we played first thing in the morning, and because of the booth, we had to stand yeah. up. Yeah, and I was not happy about that when I turned up and I was like, do you seriously expect people to play a Euro game while standing up? Yeah, <laughs> But it was, it, I didn't care! We stayed for like two hours, it was great. And you know what, I mean, this is kind of a super geeky thing for me to be interested in, but the thing that the Roll and Rights did on a, on a design level, mm. Mm-hmm. is in having players like mark their sheets and hatching and drawing Rome. Here's the thing. It could do a lot of component stuff because players were drawing instead. So yeah. it only really used like drawing. But like, for example, there were like loads of different kind of resources. There's yeah. five different kinds of victory points, five different kind of resources, senators, generals. If you had to do tokens or pieces for that, it would be a nightmare. Yeah, you know, actually, I, in fact, yeah. it would be like terraforming Mars. Well, that's it. I haven't talked about this with you, but that's exactly what I was saying to someone else earlier. Oh, really? like, it's the fact that like, it allows it to have all these different tracks, all these different things. And, and even the juggling of like, you know when you have a round where it's like, well, this round I get four wood and three stone, but I'm going to spend two of those stone and four of those wood. And and you just do this sort of like, uh, okay, uh, uh, and you end up just like Here's holding the thing. things and going, are these mine? Whereas this, it's just like, what, www, cross, 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 and it's just like, uh, kind of becomes like accounting, but it means that- Dude, I was just gonna say, here's the tragic thing. Board games are pretty good at hiding the fact that most of the games we enjoy are accounting. Yeah, right? yeah, 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 yeah. So slowly but surely, we're working our way towards this thing of like, you know, the most efficient way to play this game would be Excel. <laughs> yeah, no, I think there was so much flavor in this as well, though, in the fact that you had these, um, unique player boards uh, with like different advisors that you can level up and get different skills. So yep. you were like super fighty and I was like super into uh, politics and, and just being able to do this thing of being like, all right, I'm gonna make this fish. I get this fish and I'm gonna buy this jewelry and I'm gonna give it to a senator and be like, you're gonna be my friend. I'll give you a fish and a necklace. <laughs> and they were like, I'll be your friend. And then that senator's got some really good deals and some more jewelry and I can give jewelry to other senators. So I was doing like uh, QVC <laughs> and you were doing like, War. Oh, <laughs> no, it was, um, I mean, honestly, I can't make this sound interesting, but I can use the tone of my voice. So basically, there was a few turns where I collected a lot of stone, and you know what you use stone for? You build roads. Mm. You know what roads get you? They get you a lot of points, but only from places you've conquered, but I conquered a lot of places. And then you know what I did? Mm. I built three roads in one turn Whoa. using seven stone, and you get a multiplier for building more than two roads yeah. in a turn. And then, you know what I did? What? I started going, ah, yes, yes, yes! <laughs> like, I was so excited, and the designer was there watching me, and he, was, he wasn't like, whoa, he was like, yep. Yeah, no, it's great. <laughs> And it was funny. You, and I think after that, you said, I've just had my big turn. Should we leave now? <laughs> because with the whole game, we knew we weren't going to have a time to finish it. And it was like, yeah, that's fine. Like, I, he was like, oh, you should probably do this for points. I'm like, dude, we're not, gonna, we're not, we're not finishing this game. Like, no. There's no way we're going to finish it this was, It was unfinished, but like, oh my goodness. Uh, get, that was, it just showed so much promise. No, I, I really loved it. And it was, uh, it was evocative and fun. And it was actually interesting. At one point, I found myself when we were putting down all of the different buildings in terms of like, we were literally just drawing an outline of a shape and then writing the name of the building on it in our colored pen. Yeah. And there was part of me that thought, oh, this would be so cool if you had like a box of little plastic buildings and you could build it. And I was like, no, no. Because <laughs> it really actually like, 
I, it didn't need it. Like it was so evocative in terms of being like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to build up this district and then I'm going to build an army and I'm going to go down the road and I'm going to take those villages or whatever. And it was like, yeah. I was in the little world. You know what? And also, as far as Roman roll goes, like because of the roll and write nature of it, and it uses pads, the box is really quite small. Yeah, it should and be. You know, this isn't like a funny thing, but a, an observation, if you guys care about the board game industry, is we have never, ever, in seven years of doing Shut Up and Sit Down, been to a convention with this many small boxes. And I, I would put money on that being a trend. I think manufacturing in China, and I think the way the market's going, people are starting to appreciate small boxes, and yeah. publishers are becoming more aware of increased shipping size. And I think that's wicked. I think it's great. Honestly, I've played about three or four games this weekend that we've afterwards after we packed it away we've just been like this is tiny it's like anyone and it's just amazing anyone I mean, who's held root you know like how small is the box of root yeah yeah right, my goodness big experiences small boxes should I we love briefly it. talk about this yeah we can talk about that briefly okay right so we played a, a game that we kind of want to warn people away a little bit um, mm. unless it certainly go, undergoes like serious serious renovation yeah so we played um, because we were so excited about this because we love mega games mega games are amazing uh, and recently um, a company uh, put out a started talking about a game called Vampire the Masquerade Blood Fuse. And this is being pitched as the world's first boxed product mega game. So essentially it like, looks like a board game, but you take it home mm -hmm. and then it's, but it's a mega game. And, you and it's a mega it. game you can, with the materials you need to play it at home yep. uh, with your friends. And you know, mega games are something that we've been talked about a lot. And we, I think we, it's, it's, you know, for people who follow our work for a long time, they know it's something that's very close to our heart. Um, and we feel we kind of have a connection with. So there's a lot of people out there who really want to try a mega game. And if you don't live near to a city or you don't feel confident enough to go into a room with hundreds of people you don't know, the idea of being able to buy a box product that you can play with 15, 30 friends is, is really quite exciting. Also, the key thing is, me and Quinns, completely by chance, well, not chance, we're just both nerds, <laughs> both when we were teenagers had quite a bit of fun playing the Vampire the Masquerade uh, role-playing game. So we were kind of like, yeah, actually, I think we're both fans of Vampire the Masquerade yep. and the world. And we're both fans of Mega Games. So we thought, let's check it out. Yeah. And it was unfortunately, um, there's no, and we don't say this without, you know, we don't say this with any glee or malice. It was a disappointment in almost every regard. Um, I, it, I think the, the easy way to sum it up is it, it definitely was not a Mega Game. No. Because the main thing about Mega Games and the reason they're so lovely and the reason that we adore them and think they're really important is they lift up a game from the table. Mm. Rather than spending the whole thing looking down at things, you look up at all the different players. It's the whole reason there's a high player count. Yeah. So Because the humans become the components in that circumstance and then you're talking to lots of different people. You have uh, different relationships. You're running around. It's like the West Wing because everyone's constantly walking while talking to each yep. other. The, everything about the design of Vampire the Masquerade Blood Feud shunted your attention down back to the table. Yeah. So it was an, a game with tons of players that required moderation that was, if I had to describe it simply, imagine something like a bad version of Twilight Imperium that was broken into chunks and then different players were in charge mm -hmm. of those chunks. Mm -hmm. But it was not even a good board game to begin with and certainly it did not resemble a mega game and it is almost certainly a misunderstanding of what the genre is about. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it was a game where like there was a winner at the end, the people who got the most which is already won, which like, is already like, don't hmm. have winners. No, it's about having a story. There was very little characterization. Um, it was when we turned up there. Uh, what was your character's name? Uh, I was uh, Orange Vampire B. I was Yellow Vampire C. Sure, yeah. Uh, I mean, the thing was, like you know the there was the thing it wasn't just us either like a lot of the time we can go to things and we can be a bit snooty and when there are other people there clearly having a really fun time but we sat down with the table of people who were also on the council oh yeah that we were we supposed were, to be the politics Matt and I people. didn't really have much choice about who we were doing because it was pitched as alright every team decide 
Who is argumentative? Yeah, so it's like, all right, I guess it's me and Quinn's going to that table. Um, So anyway, we got there and we were talking to everyone else on the table before it went and everyone was like, yeah, I used to love really, people all really love Vampire the Masquerade and they all, a bunch of them have not tried a mega game and wanted to try it. So it was disappointing to discover first off that half the players would be humans. It's like, who wants to be a (laughs) human? Welcome to the Vampire LARP. And then we got our teams given now. It's like, this half of the room is vampires. The rest of you are human. You're like, that's not fun. And then also they're like, we haven't actually finished the stuff. It's a bit more complicated, the stuff to do with being in different vampire clans. So you're just vampires or humans. And it's like, "Mm, where's the flavor? I was panicking so much about looking for a theme that I went over to the world map because all of our units in New York, because the whole game takes place in New York over one night, which is a lovely idea. Yeah. Like, oh, there's this one long night. One night madness, out. fine. What, who knows what will happen when day breaks. Um, but because there was no theme around our faction whatsoever, I was looking at where all the factions started. It's like, okay, hey, you know what? Wherever my vampire clan starts, that's going to give me the theme I need. You know where we started? What? The cemetery. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they were all like the spooky house or the cemetery or like the spooky... Spooky laboratory. Laboratory. And it was like, okay, okay, fine. But the, the thing was, it was... It was it just didn't hang together. We had this thing of, we had to pass edicts that would affect things, but we had like five minutes and we, we had we went over to try and talk to our team about what might advantage them this turn, but they'd already put down their orders and and it, everybody just ended up quite detached from it and it was, it was disappointing. And it, I mean, it mainly was disappointing that it didn't even feel like, not even didn't feel like Vampire the Masquerade, didn't feel like we were vampires. I mean, the most telling thing was, the only, when we were drinking blood from humans, if there was a human faction in the same space on the strange area control board, then you just got two assets, which was basically money. <laughs> and it's like, it could have been gangsters, it could have been anything. Um, yeah, I mean, the reason, we weren't yeah. even going to talk about it because we don't usually talk about bad games on the podcast, but we kind of got the fear a little bit because we realized how many people don't live in cities where mega games are being run. And we thought, oh my goodness, are people going to buy this because they yeah. can't play a mega game normally? Is the mega game community going to have its reputation tarnished because the first commercial one becomes something that people buy not knowing it's not a mega game? Yeah. You know, and so we felt it was not necessarily great for a live show, but important to put into our podcast more as a public service announcement. Yeah, and we had a, a guy opposite us on the table who was clearly having a really bad time, and I was talking to him later on, and he was like, I thought this was going to be kind of a role-playing thing, and I, lo- I love Vampire, and it's like, yeah, usually they are. And at one point, somebody came over to him and said, oh, is this your first mega game? And he's like, yeah. And then after the guy had left, because I think he was filming it and kind of involved with him, I didn't want to, I didn't want to make a scene. I kind of went over and said, look, you know, you should try you should try another mega game. And he was like, oh, and I explained to him what they were usually like. And he was like, oh, thank you so much. Because like after this, I wouldn't have tried it. And after that, it was like, now we got to mention this because it's like, if people, it's kind of annoying because it feels to me that the people who've made the game maybe haven't, um, experienced enough or uh, understood enough the spirit of mega games. Or perhaps they're compromising too much to pack this into a box. I don't know, but all that really matters is to come out and be like, hey, this is a mega game you can buy. And then to do it such a disservice, I just feel like is at best irresponsible and at worst cynical. Yeah. Okay. So, and that's all we got to say on it. Really. But hey, hey, we're going to move on to our fun feature now. Fun features. Hey, who, who likes fun? A while back at the UK Games Expo. We've got two people oh, who like no, fun. Like seven or eight, I think. Okay, Three. so Sorry. a few years back, we played uh, during one of our live shows a game with the audience. What if I told you that all of you in this room, if mm. you so choose, if you are brave enough, are about to go on a journey into <sighs> your own imagination? Stay right there. And you'll be in the world of your imagination. This is a book that's been published recently called The Top 10 Games You Can Play In Your Head By Yourself. (laughs) 
Now, I know what you're thinking. Ah, oh, this is going to be hilarious. You have no idea. Mm. I remember the first time you tried to read this book. We were on a plane, I believe. And you, you briefly told me about it. And you said, it's apparently really interesting. And then I just looked over and saw Quinn's with his eyes closed looking like he was concentrating so hard. And all I could imagine is that he just read a sentence and said, imagine a tree. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so here's the thing. This book, even though it's been published now and it's uh, edited by Sam Gorski and D.F. Lovett, they did not write it. In fact, the first words in the book are, we did not write this book. Um, although we wish we did. So basically, in the late uh, 80s and early 1990s, there was a small print publisher who published a lot of books, many books, by a particular, I believe, anonymous author. Oh, no, sorry, he has a name. J. Theophrastus Bartholomew. Um, and he published a whole lot of books about uh, games you can play in your head by yourself. So this is a new collected anthology. So this, the name of the book, if you're looking to buy it, is Top 10 Games You Can Play in Your Head by Yourself, uh, edited by Sam Gorski. So... Um, right, we're just going to do a brief introduction now. So they got in touch with the original author for this collection, and there's a new introduction that sort of gets everybody ready. Uh, so uh, where, should, where, should we, where should we start? Um, in this busy, frightening world, this time and place we call America in the 1990s, you may not only forget how to daydream, but that to daydream is even an option. You are distracted by your television, your video games, your portable cassette players and home computers and a telephone in the kitchen that rings off the hook. This kind of paints a picture, doesn't it? Um, it is because of this that I have compiled a list of my 10 best games, and I do mean the very best. Mm. I have created over 6,000 games in my life. <laughs> Reiner Knizia, who we make fun of for making a lot of games, I believe is around 600. Uh, every one of which can be played alone. These are the absolute creams of the crop, the grandest of them all, the pinnacle of my short life's achievement. Um, all of these games, like every game I've created, are ones that you can play in your head by yourself because we are most truly ourselves and our very best selves when we are absolutely alone. Uh, there's a now a brief it's, it's, like, it's like Enoch Powell for incels <laughs> I don't like it no we should we should be really clear at that point because that's a, a mean joke that we are like this book in particular we are both equally um, laughing at and in awe of yes. like, it's something which is like it's clearly funny but also this guy is clearly amazing yeah there is some tremendously fun game design in here and I really do enjoy doing this so it's a mix of being like it's but there's also some weird bitterness in the writing, <laughs> which you can't help but enjoy. Uh, there's a section next, which I won't read, but it's the whens and wheres and the whos and hows and the whys. Uh, I'll point to, the only one I'll read out is the whos. This is the most beautiful of all the answers. If you are reading this right now, then you have all the who you could ever need. <laughs> okay, right. Um... Oh my goodness. I mean, there's too much of this to not read. Yeah, uh, so do, hang just on. do it. One of the many simple tasks required of you throughout this book is the ordinary task of fragmenting your mind to create opposing selves within yourself. Who's read uh, In the Name of the Wind? Because this is... Right. Well, three of you. That's a surprise. More uh, people than enjoy fun. <laughs> that's our demographic. Uh, now sure you understand? Consider that you shapeshift as you walk through the halls of your school, shifting from child to scholar to athlete to hungry beast. <laughs> or if you are an adult who attempts to function as a cog in the blood-soaked machine we call the American dream. 
Consider how you swallow your own soul as you daily enter the factory where you go to die piece by piece, five for every seven days. Um, wow. We gotta get okay, this boy okay, to the okay. globe. Now. <laughs> okay, now. We're gonna get everyone in this room warmed up with a with the next. This, this includes Matt, but I'm talking about all of you, okay? Because this is the warm-up exercise, <laughs> titled, and this is all. Every word in this sentence is capitalized. The simple exercise that even the most foolish children can do. <laughs> so, if I, I would, you don't obviously have to if you're uncomfortable, but I would, if you're interested, encourage all of you to close your eyes. You are walking, so do your best, oh, I've skipped the beginning, but do your best to visualize this. And also importantly, there are no wrong answers. Like if something goes insane in your, in your imagination, follow it, okay? Games can be played for years or seconds. So you are walking through a field. You look down and see your shadow cast from the sun shining down. Oh, sorry, we should say before we move any further, if you're listening to this podcast, uh, do attempt to do this at home unless you're driving a car. Yeah. <laughs> You're walking through a field, you look down and see your shadow cast from the sun, darkness upon the grains of wheat matching the outline of your body. You know your shadow well and you always have. Your shadow walks with you, a fellow self. You reach a building here in the field. The building should be something of your choice. Conjure it up, a barn, a cottage, an abandoned house, a mill, or a burned down castle. This is your sanctuary. It beckons you, it's something special and you know it. However, the shadow cannot come with you. So reach down now and grab the shadow by the place it connects to your feet and pluck it off you, tossing it backwards into the field. It is no longer your shadow, it is your shadow self. Now enter the sanctuary, look around. Imagine it, perhaps it's a bit cleaner than you thought it would be, perhaps it's more cluttered. Take a look at the objects throughout the sanctuary. Imagine all of the objects that are there in the one room or the thousand. Now you must play a game with your shadow self. Leave the sanctuary. Now, your shadow self will enter and explore with one simple objective, to steal an object from the sanctuary. You cannot look in the windows as your shadow self sneaks through the building with the simple purpose of tricking you. It will steal an item, but more so, it will rearrange the entirety of the building. Now, remember, you are both of the selves. You control each. The goal is not to trick the shadow self or the human self. The goal is to be both, to contain multitudes. Wait for the shadow self outside your sanctuary while the shadow self gets into mischief. Now, when you are ready, go back inside and see what your shadow self has done. Look at it and... Okay, wake up, we'll call it there. That is the warm-up exercise, okay? Is that a little spooky for everybody? Uh, okay, so now that's just an example of what your imagination might do. Uh, now, that's, just the, that's sort of the end of the introductory chapter. However, uh, there's a lovely... The final thing in the introduction is just magical because... While you do this, I'm going to have to do my, my now regular podcast feature. Going to... Going to the toilet. Oh, my goodness. I don't know what it is. Conventions. Stop talking. So... Coffee. Now, the final chapter in the introduction reads... It's only a wee. How to explain it. How to explain this habit of yours to others, okay? <laughs> Surely your parents are like my own once were. Distant, frowning entities. 
with a set of stern rules, including that you should stop being a couch potato and do your damned chores. It is hard to blame them, of course. Idle hands are indeed the playthings of shadow selves. Now, uh, but I recommend being a couch potato with your eyes closed and the television off. That'll teach them. Try it. Speak it. Say it aloud. I am playing a game, Father. A game that requires you to leave me in peace and allow me to be a more fully formed human. I am playing. No, I would like you to, sir. I would like everybody in this room. So, all together now. I am playing a game, Father. A game that requires you to leave me in peace and allow me to be a more fully formed human. Give yourselves a round of applause. Now, you might think from that kind of curious and sort of insidious introductory exercise that this game is going to be like particularly artistic. Oh boy! Uh, It was very difficult for us to choose a game that I would like uh, you all to play, but uh, I'm just going to turn to page 59. Uh, Now, before I reveal what this game is, Matt and I would love to have just one of you sort of as an example, but what we're looking for is the person with the most powerful imagination. Do we have any volunteer? You won't have to say much. Really, we just would love to have you on stage and sort of direct this game at you. Do we, mm. There is uh, one is gentleman brave enough, or perhaps you okay. can't quite see. Would you like to come up to the stage? Uh, sir, uh, uh, give our guests a round of applause, everybody. When the most powerful imagination meets the least powerful bladder. <laughs> Anything is possible. I, w- I, I really wish I had something I could be more famous for. Welcome. Please, take a seat. It's, oh, it's like uh, being a game show contestant. It's like really budget nightmare. Uh, it's a yeah, budget nightmare, but we couldn't afford any kind of nothing, set. Nothing, absolutely nothing. Uh, what is your name, uh, contestant? Hi, my name's John. John, uh, what, does anything in particular make you feel you have a tremendously powerful imagination? Um, largely that uh, I, I could almost feel nothing else when you were talking about sitting on the sofa and, and having the TV off and, and, and essentially screaming at your father with your eyes closed. Wow. Like, wow, okay, yeah, no, that, <laughs> so <laughs> that what we, pretty hard. I, I, so it sounds like we have someone whose parents most resemble the parents of J. Theophrastus Bartholomew. <laughs> I, I feel that's a little harsh for my parents. It was mainly, <laughs> it was mainly no. that we had an argument about whether or not the TV could be switched on. But, but, you but that argument left a deep mark. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And an even deeper... Imagination. <laughs> now, of course, oh, sorry, woman, I'm terrible with this. What was your name? John. John. I was going to say John. John Theophrastus Bartholomew. Oh, it's actually. <laughs> oh, oh my God! God. <laughs> the first initial of this. This name is Jay. Yes, no, we weren't kidding. Right, so the game that John and all of you will be playing for probably maybe about 10 minutes uh, is Trucks. It's not what you expected, is it? Uh, the chapter begins. Honk, honk. <laughs> your air horn sounds a... De- Don't close your eyes yet. This is just the intro. Your air horn sounds a deafening wave of sound through the crowd of children. <laughs> I had not read that particular sentence. <laughs> they scream and cover their ears, running from the sidewalks, scared and searching for cover. A sly grin crosses your face. Because... Uh, okay. Twist ending, because they signalled you with the motion, the tugging in the air, to honk your horn. Ah, plot twist. 
So the sort of back of the box description for this game, John, is become a legendary truck driver by transporting goods around the greater United States of America. Buy low, sell high, upgrade your truck, all while supporting yourself and your family. So then there's a map of America, which has about 10 places in it. Um, and a wigwam, oh, I hadn't, oh, okay. Oh, and it's, okay, right, moving on. <laughs> Okay, so, uh, John, would you like to pick your starting city out of... You know what, this, that's not funny content. I, How are we doing this? Are we going to get everyone imagining, or are we just going to put all of the imagination uh, coins in one basket? Oh, no, I think, I think everybody should imagine. If they want to, or they can watch John. Uh, okay. John, I believe your, your, your adventure as a truck driver in America will start now. Please close your eyes. Everybody wish John the best of luck. He's going to a more dangerous place than any of us could mm. imagine. Okay, right. Um, where should we start? So... Let's start with the introduction of Old Sly Willy. Yeah, I, was, I saw that written down. Small bells attached to the door right. ring as you enter a dim mechanic's office. A man sits at a table filled with papers. Uh, he turns to greet you. So you finally decided to step up to the plate, he says, looking you over. <laughs> Take over the family business. Trucking ain't never an easy job, but someone's got to do it. Willie reads the embroidered patch on his stained work shirt just below a pack of cigarettes. Uh, he explains the company's great truck... Oh, it's exactly like being a GM, this. He explains that the, uh, the company's great trucking fleet has been all but whittled down to the hard times. Um, you're going to be driving a Ford F-150 to begin this game. That's a van. <laughs> uh, I would like you to picture your van, but most importantly, I would like you to picture your family, everybody. Uh, where do you think you're heading in the truck? This is a family business. Before you hit the road, you have to build a realistic family. Envision what kind of family you would like. A few things to consider. Are you married, single, divorced, or separated? How many children do you have? You must have as few as two or as many as nine. <laughs> what are your children named? What are their favorite subjects? Which child is your favorite? <laughs> Which is your least favorite? Rank the children in order of preference. <laughs> Including the least positive traits of each child. How many cats do you have? You can have as few as four. <laughs> or as many as 15. Okay, right. So this family is located in your hometown. Got the family figured out? Get ready, because I'll tell you something right now. You don't know the half of it. So, uh, your truck, which remember is a van, starts with two loads of corn, okay? Now very quickly, let me turn to the uh, chart here in the book. So, uh, we'll say you're starting the game in Chicago, where corn sells for $3. Um, sells in Toledo for $2. Um, okay, we'll say you're... Mm, you know what, actually we'll leave you in Chicago, where you bought corn at a high price, and you're gonna have to figure out what to do with it. Other things you can buy in Chicago include hot dogs, which are $5. Now, here's the thing. There is a full-on Excel spreadsheet of prices here. You are fully expected to drive between different towns, buying low and selling high, and not cheating. Okay, uh, John, uh, what's, what's your most fav no, what's your least favorite child like? Well, basically, he, he's just very loud. He was only born about six months ago, and, uh, uh, and, and he just won't really won't shut up. He doesn't really do anything. Yeah, it's just, you know, at the, at the sort of um, stuff coming from both ends constantly face. Mm. What about the best child? Same situation? Uh, oh, no, no. Um, she, is, uh, she is nine, um, and she wants to be a truck driver like me. 
How many children do you have? Three. Three. Uh, how many cats do you have? Uh, there were more, but we don't talk about those. Um, Whoa. Uh, I, I have... What did we say? John's imagination is a dark and dangerous place. <laughs> there have already been deaths. Did he have warnings on the door about John's imagination? <laughs> uh... uh I decided to keep it conservative with only eight cats. Uh, okay. John, you've got some expensive po- corn. Are you going to buy any hot dogs? Um, can I feed the children on the corn? Ooh. And all the cats, for that matter. Welcome to the world of games you can play in your head by yourself. <laughs> the answer to that question, John, is within you. <laughs> it's no, isn't it? No, of course it. Did they, John, oh, no, if you say if you say no, <laughs> then it's no. The rules of the world exist in yeah. your mind. Oh, if wow. you believe you can, but if you don't believe it would be right to feed your children and or cats with corn, then don't. <laughs> How do you feel about it as your trucker? Uh, it is it is sad to see the unhappy faces of my children as I try and make them eat corn. <laughs> uh, where do you think you're going to head? Oh, um, what's the nearest city where, coin, where corn sells for more than... Uh, Three dollars. Uh, yeah. Well, we'll just say New York, okay? Great. So okay. They love it. Home of corn. <laughs> Do I have to take my children with me? No, and you know why, John? Here's the twist of trucking. Uh, let's talk about your other family. <laughs> <laughs> it's about time. So this is when we're like, this man might be a genius. Because we were looking through this book, and I, first off, I opened trucking, and I'm like, oh my God. It's a game where you're expected to play a complicated economic trading game by yourself. Oh no, it's got a, it's got a bigger me mini game. <laughs> You have to max out the bigamy level to get the best truck. <laughs> I love that. This is like it tells, this is one of those games that tells you way more about the designer than it does. <laughs> I'm going to read this verbatim. Creating a second family while on the road is an inevitability of truck life. <laughs> <laughs> when one family disappears into the horizon, another one rises in front of you. It's best that your second family has considerable distance. Coastal splits are the obvious choice for some, but there are other methods. Uh, to make it easier, feel free to find a partner with the same name. <laughs> and consider reusing the names of the children of one family. Um, is that like advice for the game or, or like advice for bigamy? You'll never mess up. Just give them all the same names. Okay, and now, uh, just to sort of accelerate this, because we do have to end the podcast, um, I'm going to rapidly move on to... um, There's a few different scenarios that you can introduce to yourself. Little things to spark off your imagination. Uh, They all have difficulty levels, starting with medium. John, we're just going to cast your imagination into uh, the one with the difficulty level quoted as catastrophic. (laughs) Um, It's called Little Lloyd... Oh, sorry, what's the name of your favourite... Son in the second fam in the first family. Uh, it was a daughter actually. A oh, daughter, name, yes. Her name's Laura. Laura, he's good. <laughs> Little Laura wants to go to Disney World. Okay. Commonly, a child will express. This is like so like this scientific. Is- Commonly, a child will express their interest in going to Disney World. <laughs> this can be a wonderful experience for one man. Uh, so, a random child from each of your families has convinced their respective mother that going to Disney World on the same week will be a good idea. Don't try and stop them. They've both already purchased the tickets. John, I would like you to start thinking about how you're going to handle this. You've really screwed this up, John. What were you thinking, John? John, you've got a rusting van full of corn. There's no time to even deliver it to New York. 
Keep in mind that if the two families come into contact physically with each other at any point during this trip, or ever, even if you're not present, the marriages on both sides will immediately dissolve. Naturally, all of this will have a disastrous effect on your psyche. Now, here's the twist ending, John. We're going to leave you here. We can't follow you on this adventure. We cannot go where you need to go. This is an adventure that you're going to carry with you when you leave the podcast. <laughs> but John, any ideas for how you're not going to make this a disaster? Um, I'm guessing that at least one of the families um, could potentially be lied to about which park they're actually going to. Um, they have, after all, ignored the fact that I've been away for you know, long enough to have actually two or three other families on the road. So Whoa! It's probably possible <laughs> to hoodwink them that much. Well, they did say, like, as the sun sets behind you, a new family rises, which mm. does imply, like, one a day. <laughs> but uh, you can't get out with that one because they said specifically that the, the women involved have bought the tickets. So you're going. Yeah, I guess maybe then it's about trying to make them, um, trying to make sure that the children have phobias of particular parts of the park, so that that way, um, if, if one of them has, you know, they'll just stay apart naturally. And with that, the leather interior squeaks in your van as you hop inside, and the steel door of your father's Ford F F-150 slams shut as you close it, rattling the cab. You kick the oh my god! You kick the empty old cans of Ham's beer away from the pedals. Ha! You think Pops sure loved his beer. The keys fit into the ignition like a glove. Vroom! <laughs> the engine starts with a cough and a kick. You're on your way to Disneyland. Whether you succeed there is up to you. Everybody, give a round of applause to John. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Yeah, jo John, John's imagination was frankly terrifying. It was, it was wonderful, it was rich. He was like a dark mirror universe version of Dr. Phil. <laughs> like, you want some advice? I got some advice, scare your kids. But of course, we only peeked through the window of John's mind. He has to live in it all mm. the time. If you would like to, uh, frankly, I'm now, I didn't realize just, I've not given it as close of a read as we did during this podcast. This book's amazing. If you would like to read it or give it a shot, this is once again, top 10 games you can play in your head by yourself, the collected edition. And this has been, I think, the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast. I think it has been. Give yourselves a round of applause, everybody. <laughs>